Welcome to the Made Man Project. This is your man, DB, transformed from trauma victim into a victor over trauma and your emotional empowerment coach. You are now inside the Made Man Project, where every Monday we're bringing you an empowering personal message to dismantle society's false sense of masculinity and change the male narrative. Thanks for coming through today. Men cry. Men break down. Men get anxiety. Men have emotions. Men feel insecure, men get abused, men have mental health illnesses. It's not unmanly to struggle. Let's support men. Let's encourage men. Don't belittle or silence men. Men struggle too. Take it from at the mental health page. My guest today is a sales energizer, Dan Jordan, also known as The Deeds. Dan is a keynote speaker, coach, and co-owner of Sales Arbiter, and one of the few men I know who actually loves the cold call. It's been said that the DJ sales philosophy is a mix between Confucius and the late, great Robin Williams. So make sure you share this podcast with others who you think can benefit from it. Just copy and paste the link. Also remember to subscribe to the Made Man Project and leave us a rating and review. All right, let's get it. Hey yo, fellas, we we made men. We made men. Try to believe that within. I just wanna be a good man. Okay, I know you all, but tell me you a good man. Tell me you're a good man. So many men are being crushed. Societal demands to be tough. Yes, you yes you are enough. Okay. I just wanna be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. I'm right beside you, I'm right behind you, I know that life could be hard right? You're not a coward, you got the power for talking about your stars No, you're not soft Let me inspire you, empower you because Society may want to see you fall, you got another brother to call So many men are being crushed, societal demands to be tough Yes, you, yes, you are enough Don't bluff, okay I can't relate to you brother, cause you're a Yes, you are a Hey, I'm here my brother I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just wanna be a good man. I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man. What's up, family? Welcome back to the Made Man Project. I'm your host, DB, and today I'm bringing on Darian DC Cockrell. Darian is the physical education teacher in St. Louis, Missouri. Wait, let me say it right. Darian is the 2020 State of Missouri's Teacher of the Year and the first male teacher since 2015 to be given that distinguished honor. And today, Darian is going to help me dismantle society's false sense of masculinity because so many men are being crushed and the societal demands to be tough, denying any kind of vulnerability, sensitivity, or any internal hurt and pain, and it's time to change that narrative. So it's going to be a great show with so many things you guys are going to want to pay attention to, but first... Really quickly, if you're a man who knows that you have the potential to do great things, but just not sure how to get from where you are to where you want to be, trapped in mental, emotional bondage, and being crushed on the self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, it's time to stop struggling with distress, anxiety, self-doubt, and fear, and shoot me an email at dbempowers at dbempowers.com. We'll book your free, no pitch clarity calls. You can learn about me and my team and if and how we can help you master your emotions and show up every damn day with more confidence, certainty, and authenticity. Okay, Darren, my man, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. I know, you know we were kind of, you know, missing each other here and there, but uh, I'm grateful to be on your show now, man. Hey, man, I, I, I appreciate your flexibility, man, and willing to reschedule. Life happens, brother. We know this. Things come up, man, but just the fact that we was able to get this on the books, this is something that I've been anticipating since I read your story, man. I was like, I definitely want to talk to this brother. 
so inspiring. Um, that transformation that you went through, man, I just I couldn't wait to get you on the show, brother. Thank you, man. It's a blessing. Yes, sir. So let's jump right into it, man. So talk to me. When you was growing up, brother, like who and what was your example of a man? Uh, growing up, there was something that I didn't have right away. Uh, to all people familiar with my story or not familiar with my story, born and raised in the city of St. Louis. And unfortunately, I lost my father um, right before I turned four years old. You know, he was he was killed with gun violence. And, you know, it's crazy to even say this. This is the first time I'm ever going to say this, but that might have been a blessing and a curse at the same time. Mm. And I will say I'll start with the curse. I'll say a curse because losing my father at such a young age, I never had that positive male role model or that man who birthed me, put me on this earth um, to grow and learn from. You know what I mean? And I think because of that, I've had a lot of traumas growing up. Um, I would say a blessing is because the things that my dad was doing at the time, which I don't know because he wasn't, I, I, and I never got to know him long enough. I don't know if he would have wanted me to do those things or right. would have wanted me to go in a different direction. But the right. things that he was doing up until his death was not something now me as a man who is a father would want my son to think that's okay. And that's something that he would want to do in his life. You know Absolutely. what I mean? So growing up, my mom had a lot of different men in and out of her life. And unfortunately, Fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately, because some of those guys are like, man, don't do what I'm doing. You know, do what I'm telling you to do. So okay. go to school, do this. But at the okay. same time, as a young man growing up and I see you doing stuff that you think are necessary to take care of your family, whether that's selling drugs, robbing people, doing what you need to do to put food on the table. I'm going to look at that and say, well, as a man, seeing an, or as a young man, seeing another man, I feel like that's what I need to do, even though you're telling me not to do that. Mm. You know what I mean? It wasn't really until I was put into a boy's home in middle school when I really got their first black male positive role model in my life. So it took a while. I mean, you know, I was born in 86. I, I was put in that boy's home in, I want to say, 2000. So, I mean, it took some time. <laughs> no, I, I get it. But tell me about that experience when you encountered that first black male presence in your life did you bucket did you resist tell me about that you know there was a lot of uh resisting because that was the first time in my life first of all where i had structure yeah you know, up the way that i did i came home i didn't know what i was going to do i had to figure it out you know what i mean yeah. but yeah. when i got put in this boy's home there was structure you wake up at this time you eat at this time you have chores at this time yeah you know, you have free time at this time you prepare for bed at this time this is all new to me yeah. so then you have this this man in my life, this big black male figure. Yeah. And growing up the way that I did, whenever I seen someone who was bigger than me, it was always fight or flight mode. You know yeah. what I mean? Especially yeah. if someone's yeah. trying to tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Because my daddy didn't even tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing because right. I right. So I didn't know how to take that from another male. You know yeah. what I mean? So when you have this man that I don't even know telling me like, you need to do this, you need to do that. And if you don't, there, there will be these consequences. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to be like, no, you don't know me like that. You're not yeah. my daddy. Yeah. I am not yeah. doing it. So it took a while for me to understand that, yes, he is a strong man. He's a big, <laughs> powerful man. But he helped me learn yeah. that, Darian, there's going to be times in your life where you have to fight. I completely understand that. Growing, the way, yeah. growing up the way that we did, that's necessary in life for development. Yeah. But at the same time, you need to understand that there's a difference between, you know, being tough, but also having empathy, respect, and understanding of another person. Mm. I'm not coming at you from an area of 
um, you have to be this way or else or otherwise. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying to help yeah. you develop as a man. Yeah. And as a man, there's going to be times we need to be soft, we need to cry, we have to have empathy and understanding of other people. Yeah. And right now is one of those times. Yeah. And you need to understand that I'm trying to help you be better. Yeah. I'm not trying to make you look soft or trying to you know make you look weak. Yeah. I'm trying to grow with you. And yeah. it took me a while to understand that. And I'm so grateful that he broke me down like that and built me back up because I needed that. Brother, listen to me. I My background is in juvenile corrections. So I experienced that often when you interact with males who are not used to having a male in their a positive male in their presence. And we get up against that resistance because you're like, yo, you ain't my dad. But I also went through a similar experience when I was in the fifth grade. I was, you know, due to unresolved trauma, my issues, I was, I was hell in school. So when I get to the fifth grade, this is my first black male teacher. But the only thing is, brother, we were seeing eye to eye when I was in the fifth grade. I was always a bigger kid, tall kid. We were seeing eye to eye when I was in the fifth grade. So my first day stepping in the classroom was in second semester. I just moved back to Pennsylvania. I go in the class. Oh, this is this is my teacher? Oh, I'm about to run all over him. Because we seeing eye to eye. <laughs> Bruh, I challenged him. I don't know what happened. From, from me bumping him with my shoulder to the next moment. But when I realized what was going on, I was folded up in the closet. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> now, you gotta remember, this is back in the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah. 80s and early 90s. So I, I came up when you can get paddled in school. And from that point, he set the tone. And God rest his soul, he just passed last year from ca uh, cancer. But Mr. McNeil was the first shining example of a male in that authority role that truly helped break me down to build me back up to what I needed to be. And that was a turning point in my life in the fifth grade, having that interaction with that man right there. Yeah. It's powerful, yeah. man. It, and it's, I'm glad, like, we both said, you know, breaking breaking a person down she and building them back yeah. up. Because yeah. when I went into that boy's home, I went in there with a hard shell. And right. I developed that shell from the way that I was living in the city. Absolutely. I, mean, I was raised in a way where I can't be weak. I can't yes. be soft. I can't yes. be anything other than just hard all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was just hard for me because I, I was a kid and I knew I, I had a mama who was on crack. I had yeah. a daddy who wasn't around. I had yeah. siblings and friends and people getting killed left and right. But there was never really a time appropriate enough for me in my community where I can let people know how I felt about those things. I was never yeah. able to really let anyone know, like, this hurts. This Is this normal? Yeah. Is this be normal? Yeah. I can't even cry without someone saying I'm weak. Yeah. Like, I couldn't yeah. experience those things. And it, that's sad to think about. Like, if my son were to cry today, I would never tell him that that's soft. Because sometimes you got to let those emotions out because you don't want that stuff to build up and create the shell that created me and made me too tough and too hard and sometimes not an easy person to get along with. So that's a great point. What was harder for you when it came to your emotions? Was it harder for you to identify what you felt, to process through what you felt, or effectively communicate what you felt, or all of the above? All of the above. <laughs> like, literally yeah. all of the above, because you have these feelings and these emotions that you've always been taught you cannot share or express those. Yeah. So in the back of your mind, is like, as bad as you want to express those and share, it's like, I can't because I got people telling me that this is not okay. Yes. This is not right. And yeah. then when you do have someone who finally tells you it's okay to be this way, you don't really even know how to go about doing those things. Yeah. You're like, how do I even, do I cry? Do I 
hug someone? Do I like what what do I do? How do I express these feelings? Yeah. And then as you're starting to learn and understand how to do that, that's when the whole communication comes in. Yeah. And one thing that I've learned is the most important thing about communication is listening first. Because mm-hmm. you cannot communicate with me and help me and understand me unless you listen to what's going on with me. And right. same with me. I cannot listen to you or accept any of your authority or anything or, or think otherwise than what that you're challenging me unless I understand where you're coming from and how you're trying to help me. Yeah. You so know saying, yeah, listen to understand instead of listening to speak. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I had to learn it all. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I get it. I, me, I was able to identify and process. I couldn't effectively communicate. Yeah. Oh, they was coming out. I didn't keep nothing bottled up. Oh, believe me, it was but it was coming out wrong. I was yes. explosive. I was you you was yo, you're gonna see I wore my heart on my sleeve. You was gonna see where I was at with it. I want you to feel that no, I'm not I'm not going that way. <laughs> I'm not yeah, I'm not going that way. Bro, so, I was just so I went unfortunately I went to a funeral yes or uh Saturday with uh my brother. Uh my youngest brother unfortunately is in prison right now and his mm-hmm. best friend died in a car accident. And the crazy thing about it is, as I'm going to the funeral, I'm talking to my brother. I'm like, you know, it's actually a blessing that he died in a car accident and he didn't die from gun violence like everyone else in our community. But at the same time, me and my brother was kind of going down memory lane, driving through our neighborhood on the way to the funeral. And he was like, Darian, you realize that you used to always fight. No matter what the situation was, you was looking for a fight. You fight somebody. You didn't know how to talk to nobody, listen to nobody. You were always fighting. And listen to him to him say that and knowing the person that I am now who is the complete opposite. I avoid avoid confrontation by any means necessary. It's just crazy the growth that I've had since that time. Because I can't imagine trying to fight somebody. I mean, if I got to, I'm going to do what I got to do. But I'm not going to, you know, go out and seek fighting someone. So that's my that's, And that's the key. Like, I always say, I'm always going to protect my peace. I'm going to protect my peace and the peace of my loved ones, those around me. But I'm very my de-escalation skills over the years. I, I hey listen, my de-escalation skills are on point. And listen, hold, on, listen, I, we good. Like I don't, I don't respond to certain triggers anymore because one, I know who I am now. I don't carry that chip on my shoulder. I was able to release the anger that I felt. It was funny because my my brother similar to like, yo, you was always fighting. I I I was. That's the only way I knew how to get my feelings across. <laughs> when lose, draw, or indifferent, I tell people, I ain't do too much losing, I do too much drawing. I was fighting because that's what I knew, that's what I understood. And, 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 and there's, you know, we can, I can, and you have that release afterwards, like, hey, I got it out now. You understand so, what I'm saying? So tell me this with that, kind of on the flip side of that, now as adults, you know, being in a professional role and things like that, and with the world always assuming everything, when they see a big man, big black man like you, or a black man like myself, no matter where we are. They're always going to think like, oh, he's a big, you know, black man. He's probably going to be angry, especially if there's a situation where someone's challenging something he's saying or has a different opinion. Now, when something like that happens, do you think back like, let me go ahead and make sure that I'm professional with this and I and I navigate this the right way. So no one I, I don't, you know, succumb to someone's assumption. You know what I mean? You know, big, that's that's a great quote. I like how you flipped it on me, brother. I love this. Um. All my life, I was, like I said, I was the bigger. I was always the biggest in my class, height wise, weight wise, and everything. So that term, intimidating. I was labeled. Oh, he's just so intimidating because of his size and his structure. My mother didn't allow me to have that 
stigma, you know, that because I speak my mind, because I'm, that I'm intimidated. So uh, for, a, for a while, though, that stuck with me. It was a limiting belief, and I used to shrink myself to fit into other people's expectation. But when I started working on me, and, and a lot of it was trauma-induced, when I started working on unresolved trauma, realizing that I'm not going to ask for, for permission to walk into what's God-given, and that's my greatness, I don't have, to, I don't worry about those type of things, to be honest with you. I'm going to respond how I respond. One, because I'm responding from a place of clarity. I'm not responding from a place of emotions. I'm responding from a place of clarity. So I'm in touch with my emotions. I know how to process through my anger. And if I'm not ready to respond, if I am triggered, I'm not ready. I know how to say, give me a moment. I need some time. Because it's like, there's nothing wrong with being mad. We're allowed to get mad. That's a natural response to reaction. But I don't, I, 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 because I operate in level of awareness, I don't let that first, I don't jump on that first thought. Yes. I give myself opportunity between trigger and response to really think about, okay, what's this going to be like? And during that time, what I remind myself is, and I got this from Lisa Nichols, I no longer have nothing to prove. I no longer, I no longer have nothing to hide. I no longer have nothing to protect and nothing to defend. So when I respond, I'm not responding out of those things where I'm trying to defend, hide, protect, or prove something. So I'm going to do me because one thing I realize is people are going to form their own opinion of me regardless, yep. regardless. But I flip it because I'm intelligent and I can effectively communicate. That's the thing. So piggybacking off of what you just said, you know, my first couple of years in education, first of all, I was grinding just to get my foot in the door. I believe it. I any and everything to make sure that, you know, I can get this job. And once I got that job, fear set in because I'm like, okay, even the same thing as being teacher there because I was like, okay, as a black man in this position in an elementary school, one, I'm one of, you know, two males in the yes. school. Yes. And then yes. I'm the only black person really in the district as a teacher. Dang. So every time I was teaching, you know, my first couple of years, I felt like I had to tippy toe around certain situations because I didn't ever want anyone to think because if I, if I wanted to defend something, if I wanted to stand up towards something, even in a respectful way, I didn't ever want anyone to say, oh, he's just an angry black man. I knew this. Yes. Was yes. You know what I mean? And it sucks because a lot of times it's not like we're even trying to be disrespectful or something, but we can't even speak our minds in a respectful, professional way without someone thinking otherwise. And I think a lot of times, a lot of black men these days don't speak up on certain situations because of that. That label, because of that label, yeah. being crunched into that and being seen as oppositional. Yes. Or defiant. Yes. Or aggressive. No, no, no. So what I had to start telling them is because I'm going to speak my piece. I, I have to. And for so long, I wasn't being me. Because of the fear of that stuff, well, I had to flip it. But the thing about it is I'm going to be my true, authentic self. And plus, I know I'm coming from a place of reason. I'm coming from a place of compassion and caring. So the thing about it is I can't get crunched into that, man. Like So I, I, I definitely get where you are with that, man. That is tough, brother. But when you what you just said, you you are your true authentic self. Yeah. When I really started to live that, believe that, and be that person, is when the great things start to happen for me. Absolutely. When my kids, my students, the teachers, the parents, the community really started to respect me, uh, buy into the stuff I was trying yes. to teach them, learn about me. Like until I really was like comfortable with myself and became as authentic as possible is when I felt like things really started to like explode for me in, yeah. a, in the most positive way. 
Yeah, and that's awesome. I'm glad you was able to step into that truth, into your truth, because so many people ain't over, ain't ain't able to do that, especially black men, yes. because of the stigma, and the label. I remember, like, I used to go through it a lot, and I used to tell them, "Ho, ho, ho! I'm not challenging you. I'm challenging the process. Yes. Stop tying two into one. You are not the process. You are you, and you're. But I'm challenging the process. I'm challenging the the mindset and the belief system behind what you're saying." Cause I just can't go with what you're saying. I just can't be a yes man. I I, I wasn't my my granddad wouldn't allow me to be that way. Right. And one thing my grandfather used to always tell me, man, and I love he was he was really who was my father. At the age of fourteen, he and I became very close. But one thing my grandfather used to always tell me, what stuck with me is, Derek, just because you can be a gorilla, don't mean you got to be a gorilla. And that stuck with me. And that that was that was powerful, man. So. What I want to ask you is 2000, you came into contact with a strong male, you know, role model male figure. How long did it take you to actually grasp the message and start applying it to your everyday life? Um, good question. So I'm going to say that when I was, uh, so I was with Ken, his name was Ken. Uh, I was with him for about a year. And I would say that when I was with him is when the ball started to roll. Now, I was doing the things that he wanted me to do to grow, but I didn't know at the time if I was doing it because he was asking me to or because I truly wanted to grow and change. You know what I mean? I think there's a difference because at the end of the day, I'm still kind of got that mindset like, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do to survive this situation because in life, you have to survive. You know what I mean? So if that means that you kind of got to blend in or, you know, make yourself comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, which a lot of black men have learned to do, you got to do what you got to do. when I left the boys home and I was adopted and I was living with this white family, I think I really, really start to dive deep into the stuff that he instilled in me. Because now for the first time, um, I felt like I had a family. And I also feel like this is my redo. I get to start over. So I have a father, I have a mother, although we're not the same race, different cultures. And I also have two siblings that they adopted. Mm. And I think, once I got into that family, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to let them down. One. Two, I don't want to let my grandmother down who had to sacrifice everything for me to get to the point where I am now. Because still to this day, well, my grandma, I lost my grandmother uh, 10 years ago. But at that time, I was like, she was crying a, a thousand days. She did not want me to leave that area, the environment where I was, even though she knew it was bad for me. Now, as I started to grow, she realized, like, I'm so glad that he left. I still wanted to make sure that me leaving was going to be something that she could look at. and was like, I'm so glad he did it. It was worth it. It all paid off. So as I'm, you know, living my life and trying to, you know, make sure that I'm doing these things that Ken instilled in me, I still have some bumps in the road. I still have some hiccups because again, this was the first time that I, I really got to like live and be a kid. So a lot of those mistakes, a lot of kids make, I mean, we make mistakes our entire life, but a lot of those little mistakes that we make as kids, you know, and, kindergarten through middle school I was making it in high school because I never really got to be a kid and make those mistakes now the mistakes I was making were bigger mistakes that you know were under the table people didn't know about but as far as kid mistakes you know skipping school missing school not turning in assignments and you know being crazy cursing and just doing kid stuff you know what I mean it really wasn't until I got to college when I realized like all right, man, you need to buckle these straps on your shoes and like really be a man because I think growing up in a black community, your goal is I got to make it out. I got to make it to college. 
But I think what a lot of people forget is that it's one thing to make it to college. Go ahead. Come on now. Come on. But you got to make it out. Yes. And it took me seven years, bro, (laughs) to get my bachelor's. I'm in college. Like, I made it. I'm here now. I'm here. But then as I'm here, it took me a while to really start putting in the work and passing these classes and using that stuff that I should have known as a kid that I didn't have, those study skills and all those things that I really didn't have growing up. Like, I found out later in life that I had dyslexia, you know, ADD, ADHD, and all those stuff. All those things were a factor. But still, I'm in college, bro. You got to take advantage of this opportunity to grow and be professional and put yourself in a position where you can support yourself and then have a family that you can support as well. So, you know, it really wasn't until I met my wife. She was just, mm, you know, come on she, now. she was just a girl at the time. Come on now. It's crazy because, you know, I meet her, we hook up, we do our thing. I'm like, okay, you know, boom, I'll holler at you. But yeah. then she texts me the next day and said, what you doing today? I'm like, why is she texting me, man? She's like, I said, you know, I'm supposed to go sign up for these classes and stuff like that, but I don't know what I'm doing. She was like, I'm going with you and we're going to go sign up for these classes. I didn't even know her like that for real. And I'm like, who's this chick telling me I didn't go sign up for these classes? Man, she came over to my crib. We drove down to the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and she made sure that I signed up for my classes. And not only that, that I knew what other classes I needed to make sure that I needed to pass so I could graduate. Because she told me, she said, we cannot be together if, if education is not a priority. And when you have your own peers or someone you like telling you that, it means something completely different than your parents or your teachers telling you how important it is. Because now somebody else who's kind of on the same level as you, who you kind of like is holding you accountable for the stuff that you've signed yourself up for. Now I got to really be the man. Now that's, that's heaven sent though. (laughs) That's a whole nother subject. We can get into the power of the right (laughs) woman in your life. Uh-huh. Just the fact that, like, because women know, and, and uh, that intuition, and she she sees something, and she was, whatever God spoke to, she said, you know what? Yeah, and she did what she was supposed to do, yeah. help guide you and lead you in the right direction. And kudos to you for going with it, because you had a choice. Yeah. You could have said, nah, we, 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 hey, we have fun, get and live your life. I don't know, you shorty, go ahead and, you know what I mean? What you hitting me up for? Like, we, you yeah. know what I mean? But you, you, you followed that. I think that's great, man. Um, that you at that place, man, you can acknowledge the importance of what your wife did for you. And something that you said that I want to jump back on real quick is a lot of people fail not to make it to that next level, but to sustain on the next level because they don't plan for it. Yes. All they're thinking about is, I got to get here. I got to get to this next level. But each new level requires a new you. And what you did on that previous level is not going to work on that next level. And that's where people get stuck at, brother. So I'm glad you you brought that up and you made some adjustments, whether it was seven years, 10 years, you did it, man. Yeah, that's great, brother. <laughs> so this is another thing, though. So I knocked on my bachelor's, you know, I became a teacher. And it's yeah. crazy to think about it that it took me, you know, five years to become Missouri Teacher of the Year, and it took me seven years to graduate college. Now I'm, I'm in a position in my life because I won Missouri Teacher of the Year that now the state is going to offer me a free master's. So when I found that out, I was excited, like, oh, yeah, you know, I get to get my master's, bump up in a pay scale, do all these things, you know, um, start laying a groundwork for future stuff. You know what I mean? If I want to be going to admin or whatever it may be. Yeah. But then another side of me came where, because till this day, I still wake up in cold sweat and nightmares about missing assignments and like, 
I got to go to college. I'm late. Like, I'll wake yeah. up like, bro, I'm not in yeah. college anymore. Yeah. But now I got to go back. And right. I'm like, dude, do I still have the mental capacity to do this? Because I, I struggled so much throughout yeah. college yeah. and throughout yeah. school that there's a part of me is like, you're, you're being offered this opportunity to, to get a free education, more on top of what you have. You can do this. But then there's a part of me is like, I'm afraid because I'm like, I'm, I'm getting it for free. But what if I suck at it? Because I struggled so much in the past and I've been so far removed from being in school. You know what I mean? That's so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to <laughs> build up that confidence to, you know, re-enroll after this year and get back to my master's. But you know what? I love it, man. Darian, I, I love it. I love your transparency and your vulnerability. That's something we're going to get to, but that's real, man. We have these doubts. <laughs> We have these concerns, but we got to make sure that we're not getting crushing our limiting beliefs. Yeah. We have to look at when it comes to that confidence, man, confidence is nothing to me but preparedness. Am I preparing for this? Am I doing what I need to be doing? Because at the end of the day, we come down to the choices we make them. And if you look back at through them seven years, it wasn't just academia. It was also some choices you made. Uh, if we're being real, you understand what I'm saying? But now you're a lot more mature. You're not more wise. Is it going to be easy? Hell no, if it was going to be easy, everybody would be doing it. You understand what I'm saying? It's not going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. But that's where that growth comes in there. And you, and you yeah. know this. I'm not telling you nothing you don't know. But sometimes I want to reassure you, brother, and, and send you some affirmations that you are more than capable of doing it. You are more than capable of doing it, brother. Everything that you overcame, everything that you've been through, there's nothing that you cannot do, my man. The biggest battle is right here. You understand what I'm saying? And when you come up with that plan and you take them action steps to get to and you stay faithful and committed to that plan, you can achieve it. Is it going to be difficult? Hell damn yeah. It is. That's life, brother. But the greatest thing, the greatest rewards come from our most hardest challenges, brother. You understand what I'm saying? So, brother, you got this, man. Do You're going to make your decision, but, brother, just know if you don't do it, it's not because you can't do it. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah, not because you can't, brother. So you're more than capable. And I, I definitely make sure I, I stay in touch with you, man, and follow up with you and and, and speak that positivity into you, man, because it's going to be challenging. My my lady just finished up her master's in counseling. She's, she's you know, going for – she got to sit for her NCE now. She's going to be a licensed professional counselor. She just submitted her last paperwork on Friday, this past Friday, man. We celebrated like no other because – the journey's tough, man. We're trying to work a full-time job, going to school, children, and things like that, man. And so I, I get it, man. I, I get how tough it is, brother. So switching gears real quick, man. We talked about where you were emotionally. I want to talk about where you were when you got adopted, brother. Now, you got adopted into a white family. What what race were your siblings? The adopted siblings? Uh, no. So this is another uh, twist to it. So they were adopted from Brazil. But if you've seen them walking down the street, you go think they're black. Wow. Okay. But they're living with white people. So just think about being, and I've been, th- I've been thinking about this a lot as an adult, about what they might've been experiencing and going through. Yeah. They're adopted from Brazil as babies. Don't know their mom, their dad, or their culture at all. Mm. They live with a white family. They now have a black guy who people identify them as being black, living with them. Yeah. So now they have to shift their whole like, well, should I be acting or being like this person? Because yeah. people think we are black, even though we're Brazilian, but we live with a white family. So I think mentally, they never really understood where they were in this world because they're adopted from Brazil. They live with a white family and then they go to school and now have this, this black guy live with them. Yeah. So I think if I would have had that mindset, knowing that growing into that family, I would have did things a little bit differently. 
but you know, 2020, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but with that said, when I moved in, the way that I moved was the, the way I navigated was I didn't have anything. I'm coming into a situation where my mom owns a tennis club financially, you know, her and my father, we are good. So I never have to worry about money. That's one thing. Two, resources and opportunity are at my fingertips. So I need to make sure that I'm taking full advantage of all this stuff that is being handed to me because I didn't have that in the city. And I still got brothers and sisters who are in this city who would love to probably be in this position that they're in right now Mm. to take advantage of these things. So even though I made mistakes, you know, I had my bumps in the roads and things like that. I still made sure that I was taking advantage of the stuff that was given to me. Now, it was funny because growing up, I did not like white people, yeah. period, point yeah. blank. Yeah. And I didn't like white people because of the experiences that I had with them. My earliest experience with white people were cops. Um, I've only told this story three times in my life. My grandmother called the police on my mom, who was a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And uh, the police came to our house. It was myself, my grandmother, um, and my two brothers. We were all really, really young. My mom had loved because she knew the police were coming. The police came over, three white men, and uh, they uh, seen that there was a, a, a little bit of weed, a little, you know, a little joint in a cigarette, in an ashtray. And they asked my grandmother, um, what is this? And she was like, I called y'all over because my, my mom or my, my daughter, you know, was being, you know, a little crazy and I needed help, but she's gone. So I don't really need your guys' services anymore. They're like, well, that's great, but what is this in, in this thing? My grandmother was like, it was, it was weed. It's probably from my, and I don't, as a kid, I don't know who it's from. You know, it's weed in there. My grandmother's like, I don't know who it's from. It might be from my daughter or somebody else who was here. It's not mine. So they said, okay, sit down on a chair. They sit her down on a chair and they handcuffed her. And they made me and my brother sit there and watch as they beat her. Blood come out and everything. My grandmother took it like a champ. Didn't cry, didn't do anything. And then they left and they said, and my grandmother was like, I she was like, I want you guys to forget about this. I want you to be strong and be tough and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But that stayed in, in my mind. This is a trauma. It, it, still to this day, I have never in my life called or even thought about calling the police for help because of that incident. I would never do that. If my wife wanted to do that, more power to it. But I just, that trust factor has been broken, done because of those three white men. I would never trust a police officer or their true intentions because of that. So because of that, I was like, I hate white people. My next experience with white people were social workers and judges. And I always put them in a mindset that they're trying to take me from my family. Now, now as an adult, I think there are probably some good intentions. They knew that this kid's in a bad situation, so we need to put them in a better situation. But a lot of times that better situation they were trying to put me in was not a good situation. Because even as a kid, before I went to the boys' home, I was put into foster homes. And those white parents and their kids were abusive, mentally, physically, socially, and emotionally. And those social workers didn't know that even when I told them, they weren't trying to hear that because they seen that, oh, you're in a good environment. Take advantage of this. You know, don't be ungrateful. We're trying to make sure that you're good in life. But I'm like, bro, they doing this stuff that they ain't telling you. I'm telling you, but they're not believing me. You know what I mean? So I did not like white, white people. And then there was always this like, because I, I seen white people on TV. So I assumed that like they had everything, they've never experienced anything, they had no adversity or anything. So I was envious of that. I'm like, man, these, they got everything. We ain't got nothing over here. Man, forget them. Can't no white person tell me nothing. So when I was going to school in the city and all those teachers were white and there was a huge disconnect. They didn't understand me and where I was coming from. And I didn't want to understand them where they're coming from because I felt like they were living a high life and they didn't give a shit about what, what I was going through. Yeah. So yeah. when you have two different groups of people and there's a lot of tension. 
of course, there's going to be things that's going to make that situation uncomfortable and it's going to make it a place that it's not. It's supposed to be a place where you, you know, embrace these kids, support these kids, empower these kids and make it a space of success where they can grow. But it was never that because we were never on the same page. Like I hated being there and they hated being there because we didn't respect them. There was no respect there. Yeah. So school for me early on, it didn't matter. It wasn't a priority. You know what I mean? So it took me to be bused out to a county school in the, sub the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And then once I started to be around white people who actually like cared for me and supported me, that was all new to me. And it was weird because I'm like, what are their intentions though? Like, are they yeah. trying to set me yeah. up? Are they trying to be on some sneak stuff? But I think just being around white kids too really helped me see the world differently. And it made me realize that I got to stop assuming things and thinking that because of one situation with these white people, that everyone is the same. And I think now I understand how some white people feel as far as black people because they might have some bad experiences or see some things on TV and then they're going to assume that everyone is that representation of that bad situation they've seen on TV or that they had, you know, that, that they've experienced in life. So once I was able to change my mindset and realize, like, I cannot compare this one white person to these three uh, white men who did this to my grandmother. And once I started to shift my mindset, like, you know, this person, I got to know them. They got to know me. I like them because of who they are, not what I assume that they, they to be. And when these white teachers start like caring about me, trying to give me hub, hugs, not just asking about school, but asking yeah. about me as a person, asking how they can help and better support me and how they can bring my grandmother into this situation so she can understand too. Because my grandmother, the farthest she went into school was sixth grade. My mom did graduate from high school. I don't even think she went to high school. Yeah. My dad, I think he dropped out and uh, I think he dropped out of high school and then he became a drug dealer. So education was never a priority. It was never something that someone had benefited from to make someone else say, hey, we got to do this because it's going to make us better. They might see other people being better from it, but we were never better because of education, because we never made it far enough or got the people surrounding us to push us to find that um, greatness inside of us to be better. So once I started to come in contact with people like that, then I started to change. And when I realized that those, my coach who adopted me had all of my best interests like in his heart, I knew that this was going to be a great situation for me despite the cultural difference. And I used to play with it. We'll go to the grocery store. I'll be with my white mom. I'll take a person run. And you got the security chasing me. And I'm just joking though, knowing that. I'm like, hey, that's my mom. Joking. My mom's like, you got to stop doing that. They're going to arrest you. But yeah. I was having fun with it. <laughs> I, I, I get it, bro. I get it, man. Tell me, man, how what were the challenges of growing up in that type of environment with, with parents versus like you still got siblings who are still stuck and trapped with limited resources in a bad environment? What was that challenge? Was it was it a pull for you? Were you torn with that? Or like how did you it's manage still, that? Still to this day, I have anxiety and depression and and survivor's guilt because of that. Because mm. I always felt like I'm like. God, like, why me, though? Why couldn't you bring Lynn or Pat or Robin or all of us here in this situation? Yeah. And I truly believe everything happens for a reason. God has a plan for everyone. And maybe he chose me because he knew that my mindset would change and I would really buy in to help myself mm -hmm. so I can help other people. And it was hard, man, because I'm always thinking about, like, it's I can't truly enjoy this stuff because I know that they're not enjoying this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you have those just those little things, like those everyday things, like, I go into the cabinet to get a bag of chips. 
but I'm so used to not being able to like eat it all at one time because yeah. I don't know when I'm gonna get another bag of chips or anything. So I'm like, yeah. put stuff in my room, hide it. And my mom coming in there like, you don't gotta live like that. You know, we we good. You can do this. You know what I mean? Or something as simple as getting a haircut. She white. She don't know what it takes me to get my fresh cut. Yeah. So then I'm calling my grandma like, man, I ain't got no haircut. Then my grandma calling her, cursing her out. You better take my grandson and get a haircut. Don't take one of those gray clips. So it was those those different, you know, just those little things that growing up black that white people don't understand. But they learn. It was a process for everybody. That's great. I, I find myself getting a little emotional right now. There was a time that uh, me and my brothers was in the foster care system. And there's three of us. And, you know, my mother, she, she had her battle with um, addiction at the time. My father was always on and off drugs all his life. And my mother lost us for a period of time. And it was talks about separating us. And I just think back now, I'm so grateful that my mother was able to get herself back together and me and my brothers didn't get separated because I wouldn't know what I was done without my little brothers. Like my, I was, I always had to protect my little brothers because there was times we, you know, I've been on my own. Like it was just me and my brothers walking the street, nowhere to go, no place, you know what I mean? So this hearing your story and, and I, and that survivor's remorse. And to be honest with you, brother, there's not much of my life that I, I can say that I couldn't handle. I wouldn't be able to overcome. And I, I, I healed from so much, but just that thought right there really moved me emotionally, not being able to have my brothers growing up with. I don't know how I would have handled that, man. So that's, it's strength to you for pressing forward and taking advantage of that opportunity, man, and not wasting it and not allowing the survivor's remorse and the guilt and things like that to hold you back and not take full advantage of that, brother. So that's great, my man. You know, as you say that, it's crazy because when I was with my brother uh, over the weekend attending that funeral, he said something I had never heard him say before. And he said, look at me, I'm about to get emotional. Um, okay, bro. Yeah. Um, he was like, ah. okay, so he said, he said, bro, when the state took you to that boy's home, I used to cry every day. Yeah. And I never thought about, I'm like, bro, you know, I'm sad because I'm 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 being taken from my environment that's wrong with me. Yeah. But I'm not even thinking about really like how it feels for them to see me being taken away from that environment. I know how it feels to be removed from it, but they're still in an environment and I'm not I'm no longer there. But they gotta continue living life. Yeah. So when it's like, bro, I used to cry all the time. I, I never knew that. And then now it makes me almost feel worse. I'm like, bro, he over here crying and stuff not even knowing that I got all these great opportunities and resources at my hand and me early on, not really taking advantage of knowing what I had in my future. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, it's just one of those hard economies to like really understand because it's like, you want to be here so bad, yeah. but you need to be here so that yeah. when you do go back over here, you can take stuff over here to help them grow. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, Literally, God is crazy, man. God is crazy. Literally, there. I'm telling you, bro. The day, the hour, the second, the year when they took me out of that city. Yeah. They couldn't have done it any earlier or any later because if it would have been later, I would not probably be here today. Because when I was telling you about that conversation I was having with my brother about me always fighting yeah. in a city, things just got worse. Yeah. I'm like, bro, I'll be dead or in jail right now. Because yeah. that was my mindset to just be over aggressive and always just trying to fight people yeah. or want to keep with somebody or anything like that. And if I would have not been in that position to shift my mindset right then and there, game over. Yeah, man. 
Right. I'm so glad that you had that shift. And then one thing about it, man, is one thing I had to realize, even though, you know, my brothers and I stuck together and, and something that you was going through, man, is, is I needed to work on me. I needed to take care of me to go back and take care of them. You understand what I'm saying? And help them. And God put you in that position. And I don't know which I'm not going to force my beliefs upon you, brother, but you were in that position because that was what was needed for you to be able to go back and uplift your family. And the greatest thing about it is that you handled the situation, brother, and you continued to push on and you didn't revert back to what was easy, what was comfortable, going back to that life. I know so many people that, you know, people want to pull them out of that lifestyle, but they choose to go back to them because they can't handle the pressure or the expectations. Because you had a different set of expectations placed on you. Yep. Them, them old behaviors wouldn't work where you was at. So you had to adjust. And brother, I, I applaud you for making that adjustment, man. So what people don't understand is that when I was taken away and put in that boy's home, my brother was also taken out of that same environment. So my oldest brother, he was put in a military boot camp. And they were trying to put me in that same place. But my principal and my counselor said, you know what? We can't do that because he had this foundation here at this school. So yeah. we, what can we do? So they put me in a boys' home down the street from the middle school, so I can still go to that same school at those same uh, systems that I had in place. Yeah, they were successful at taking my brother out of that environment. They put him in a military boot camp, had the structure, had everything. But where they failed was when he left out of six months. You know where he went? Right back exactly where he was. Yeah. So you can give him all these things to help him mentally, physically, whatever. But if you don't have those resources, those opportunities in his community. He's just going to revert back to what he knows best. And unfortunately, that is what he did. But I cannot fault him for that. Because if that's what you know, if that's what you're comfortable with, and if that is what you are good at, that is what you're going to do. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's done for the last 16, 17 years that I left. He got suspended from school for selling drugs in eighth grade. Mm. And unfortunately, he's doing the same stuff because that's what he knows. That's how he thinks he has to make a difference for his family and put bread on the table. And I cannot fault him for that because he wasn't given the same opportunities and resources that I was given. Absolutely, man. And I think people fail to realize, like, and and and, and Dr. King, I don't, I'm not going to try to quote it. I know the exact stuff, the every word, every line of it, but I just want to go back to resources are so important. It's like telling the person to pull themselves up by the bootstraps when they have no boots. People think, oh, just because. Oh, you, if you want to do it, you can go do it. You, yeah, yeah, it's great to have that mindset. We can't do anything we put our minds to when we have the resources, when we have the opportunities. And it's not always you got to create the opportunities. It's like if, like if you don't know no better, if you don't see any better, how can you do any better? You understand what I'm saying? So I, I, I get it, man. We're in a land of opportunity. I get it. But we don't have the right resources. We don't have the right things around us, the tools to be able to deal with these things that come up against us. We're not going to get anywhere, man. So I, I, I definitely get that. I, I want to ask you, brother, what are what are some things you do, man, to practice self-care, man, to recharge those mental and emotional batteries? Man, what are some things you do to really take care of yourself, bro? So I'm going to keep it 100 with you. This past year has been <laughs> – it's been crazy, bro. Yeah. Like, this has been a whole new territory for me. So I struggled yeah. mentally and emotionally this past year because there's been so much thrown at me, so much going on, that I've been trying to be there. So I seen this thing the other day about, you know, pouring into other people's cups. Yeah. You yeah. know, pouring into other people's cups. 
but it, it came upon where I didn't have anything else to pour in. And yeah. then I didn't have anything else coming into my cup. Yes. I was running on E, like yeah. teacher of the year, media, all this stuff happening. You know, still trying to be a dad, still trying to be a husband, still trying to be me. COVID. Yeah. COVID going on. So those yeah. vices where you want to work out and you want to do all this stuff, parts being closed down, like it was so much stuff going on that I almost lost myself. Man, I was suicidal, all kind of stuff. Yeah, man. It was crazy. But now things are starting to open up. Things are trying to, you know, kind of die down or just kind of, you know, level out before they, you know, rev back up. I found my zing again. You know what I mean? So right. I'm taking time to like pull back, say no to some things, um, you know, work out, walk, think, yeah. Yeah. see, listen to a podcast, whatever I need to do to be the best me that I can be. Yeah. I have to do that so I can be the best person I can be for everyone else. I cannot be a good father to my son unless I'm there mentally, physically, socially, and emotionally. Because if I'm upset about something, if I'm stressed out, then I'm going to take it out on him. Yeah. I'm going to take it out on my wife or whoever else. So I got to get myself into a good place so I can be the best man that I can be for them and everyone else. Yeah. So I've been doing a good job of just like taking time for myself, even if it's just going downstairs in the basement and sitting in a dark room for five minutes and just getting my thoughts together. Yeah. I have to do what I need to do so I can be me, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I definitely get it, man. And that's so true, man. You can't pour from an empty cup, brother. And I'm so yeah. glad that, and I believe it, it was a whirlwind. When you, when people start pulling you in every direction, man, I'm glad that you developed them boundaries and learn to say no and take care of you, man. And that's great, brother. I love the fact that you are poor, are deliberate and intentional about your self-care, man, and being there for your wife, for your children, and then for everyone else that needs you after taking care of yourself first, man. That's dope, brother. My, my last question for you, man, and I'm going to ask it in two different ways, and you can answer whatever one resonates with you the most, but the question is, what type of legacy are you leaving in this world? Or when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? I love that question. Yeah. <laughs> so can I just tell you a quick story before I answer that question? Absolutely. When I went to this funeral, so I'm so far removed from that. Like yeah. this was, it was a hood funeral. People were down there, six deuce, blue and orange. My brother showed up with socks and slides on, you know, colors of the gang, everything. This was a hood funeral. So, you know, I'm a black man from that community. I felt like an outcast, but there was still something deep inside of me to talk about something that I knew about this guy who died. Had only met him three times in my life. The yeah. third and last time I met him was he was actually out in the suburbs near my house with his family, with his kids. Now, you got to understand, when I seen him out there, I'm like, bro, first thing was like, what are you doing out here? You know, he yeah. are in my neighborhood, he's from the hood. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, what's good with you, bro? I'm like, aren't you my brother's best friend? He's like, yeah, I'm talking to him, whatever. But I seen him with his kids, being a father, being loving, being present, loving being with his kids, which is something you don't normally see with a lot of young people from the city. Yes. So I spoke on that. Like something came in my heart. I went in front of all these people. I mean, it's probably 500 people at this funeral. Yeah. I got up in front of everybody. Nobody know me but my brother. Yeah. And I spoke to these people and I said, look, y'all, I didn't really know him like that for real. What I did know is that he was a good father. And I said, I'm going to challenge everyone here in this room today. When you die, we always talk about when we die. What do we want our legacies to be? How do you want to re be remembered? And this guy, even though I didn't know him, what I did know was that he was a great father. That's yeah. a part of his legacy. What his kids are going to know and be able to talk about is that my father, when he was on this earth, he was here. Mm. So I say all that to say this. 
for my legacy, I want people to remember me as being authentic. And most importantly, my son, if I die today, I want my son to know that, man, my dad loved me. Mm. My dad, in fact, mm. look at this. This thing right here. My son made this. I cry when I see this. So my son is four years old. He's in preschool. He wrote, uh, dad is happy when I listen. And then it says, dad likes to say, I love you. Yeah, yeah. I cannot tell you one time when my biological father told me he loved me. Mm. That's crazy. So the fact that my son is four years old and he knows that I love him, that is what I want my legacy to be because I want everyone him growing up thinking like, man, what did my dad think? What did he feel? Did he really love me? Did he really you know, want me to be a great person in life? And I think him knowing that I love him will tell him that no matter what he does in life, he's doing it through the love and the confidence that I gave him to be great. I just want my legacy to be as a good father, as a good man, and just a person, not who is good at PE and teaching people how to be good at PE, but a person who wants people to be great in life, period. Man, that's awesome, brother. And, and you're doing it. You're, you're, you're living that legacy right now, my man. Listen, I want to tell you, you are definitely a made man. You are motivated. You are accessible. You are disciplined. You are expressive, brother. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. I wish you the best moving forward. Man, you got this master's thing, man. Continue to walk on that path and, and walk in your greatness, man, because there's a purpose, there's a reason for everything that you've been through and continue to live that, brother. And continue to do what you do, my man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you and God bless. Thank you. Now, thank you for tuning into this episode. I truly hope something on this episode resonated with you. It is my hope that you know that no matter what you're dealing with or what you're going through, you don't have to suffer in silence, isolation, and shame. We all have struggles. We all have things that we are dealing with. And ignoring or avoiding what you're thinking and feeling and not allowing yourself to be vulnerable or express any internal hurt and pain doesn't make you more of a man. Please understand that. Also, please, share this episode. You never know what someone is going through, and something in this episode may help. Remember, no matter what it is or how hard it is, that's not all there is. You don't have to stay stuck or struggling. Your power is in your choices. So what type of choices are you going to make today? I'm here, my brother. You know I love you. Yes, you, yes, you are enough. I just want to be I can't relate to you, brother, cause you're a good man. Yes, you are a good man.